This is Talking Dirty, Get Gardening's podcast for plant lovers. The video version is available on our Get Gardening YouTube channel, so you can head over there if you want to see our ugly mugs, and there are pictures of the plants there as well. There are full plant lists on our Twitter and Instagram at Get Gardening Now, so go check those out. But without further ado, let's start Talking Dirty. And welcome to episode 84 of Talking Dirty. Over at East Ruston Old Vicarage, I think looking like he's escaped from some Mediterranean holiday. Very, very tanned and looking like he's sort of maybe a bit hot under the collar. Uh, we have our happy and handsome horticulturist, Alan Edward Herbert Gray. Well, thank you for the wonderful introduction. It's not hot under the collar, it's, but it's hot. <laughs> and, you know, you do actually pick up the sun quite a bit when you're working outside an awful lot. And th- at this time of the year, it's quite strong. Hence the colour. No additives. <laughs> <laughs> He's not been on a sunbed. Over in good old Sprosten at her mother's house, we have Thordis Maria, Sophia, Fredrickson. And you, I mean, I'd love the chair. I want you to get up a minute. I want to see the pattern on the chair. It's lovely. Get out of the way. Yes, it's fantastic. Look at that. Very nice. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, very good. You know what? I think this was a bedspread that we uh, we customised into a, a chair cover. I do. It's one of those reclining chairs, though. I feel like I want to do the podcast back here. <laughs> and I've got a supporting cast of many aces, all of which... So varieties I've forgotten, but never mind. We'll move on. You can't really see them in detail. Well, it looks anyway. lovely. It looks very jungly yes. and, and secret and all the things that you... I mean, it's an enchanting secret garden at Thordis's mum's house. It is. Actually, our guest this week has visited this particular garden many moons ago because Ian Scott Roof is one of our... Uh, well, one of our best friends, our original Get Gardening co-conspirator. We've finally pinned you down to another date. You're one of the busiest men around, always well, working, always busy. I've been uh, wheeled off the subs bench. <laughs> uh, I've been, I've been, I've been dragged out of the freezer where I'm kept when I'm not needed for this. <laughs> Cryogenically frozen just for these occasions, and I'm here. <laughs> Is that why you always look so young, Ian? It's because you're, uh, well, you're, you, you're very talking of looking young. Adam's looking young. That portrait up in the loft must be, you know, well. More handsome by the week, Alan Gray. We all know about Dorian Gray, but Alan Gray, that's a different matter. <laughs> that's obviously it. He's just changed his first name. <laughs> so, Ian, I cannot even remember when it was that we last caught up with you on Talking Dirty. How the devil have you been keeping? I'm very well, thank you very well. It's been great. It's been a while, but it doesn't matter because you've had some wonderful people on this podcast every single week. It's been absolutely brilliant. I don't know how you guys do it, producing this every single week. So uh, I've been listening to a lot of uh, Talking Dirty, which is always good. Uh, and Lots of gardening, lots of planting, lots of watering. Yeah, it's been pretty good, actually. And my, my little garden out here in South Walsham is really really coming on it's really filling up with things actually it's amazing how you plant things really small and I found some pictures of when during lockdown I just sort of planted the garden up that autumn before and I got lots of bare soil between things and looking now everywhere's just full things have seeded in it's amazing how you forget how you know I thought it was oh it'll never it'll never get to anything and the trellises are full and there's holbuelia in flower and there's all sorts of things I mean I've got I must have 50 or 60 climbers on the fences just going round you know because we always talk about this but I just love covering fences and walls and things I just think it's great and it provides such wonderful habitat so that's been really nice to see actually and 
I'm really sort of lucky that I've created this little piece of, well, it's my own Eden, really. It's very small. You could fit it probably 200 times into Alan's garden. And I, you know, I do crave acres, but it's, it's, it's nice, you know, it's nice. I, 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 when I get home, I lock the gate and I'm in my own little world for a bit. And it's, you know, I can, I can do what I like in it rather than sort of, you know, having to, you know, liaise other people which is quite nice oh hermitage is the best i've realized this is the first podcast i think where we're all in the same county because oh, actually, i'm in yeah. norfolk yeah yeah i'm well, in that norfolk makes no difference to anyone else norfolk, yeah. <laughs> but it's quite nice yeah. um and uh and you're you I mean this isn't this isn't a big garden but this is probably the plots 100 foot which is you know sizable compared to what a lot of people garden certainly what i garden in cambridge and mm. how big is your garden at home ian um, oh, it must be um, 30, 30 feet by 15. So it's pretty small, to be honest, but I've crowned a lot in. I've got five trees in it as well. Sorbus, uh, Crataegus prunifolia. Um, I've got two Sorbus, actually. I've got Cadrastus. Uh, I, got... I don't say it. Go on. That's the size of my drawing room. There we are. That, this, my garden is the same size as your drawing room. Yeah, there we are. And it's, uh, yeah, well, it's good, though. It's good. Well, you just given me an idea, Ian. You're going to plant up the drawing room. <laughs> <laughs> Take the roof off and put a glass one on. No, I was just thinking, um, it, when Ian, Ian was talking about, you know, how he loves to cover the fence and everything else, and I was just thinking, well, you really don't need a fence in a way. I mean, you do if you want some privacy, but if you're you know you're fencing off a piece of garden and everything i said this to graham the other day wouldn't it be rather nice somewhere in this garden to make a stretch say 100 feet long of nothing but wisteria oh goodness yeah um you know but the trouble is i'm like you Ian. i want to <laughs> i want to grow more than just one thing like yeah. discipline yourself to do that i mean you know we have fences of espalier apples for instance things like that but i mean if you actually think about it you could actually do some fabulous things with large fences with a single subject a single variety on it you've got a new fence Al. you could do something with that yes true (laughs) (laughs) it it probably is a hundred foot your new fence it'll be ideal for wisteria (laughs) the cogs are whirring i mean wisteria at this time of year anyone who doesn't have it me included extreme wisteria envy and Obviously, it stands out wherever you're walking or driving, you tend to see them. And I love how it's almost catching that if one person in an area grows a really great wisteria, everybody else wants to copy them. So you'll see wisterias of varying ages and there'll probably Mm. be one really old one and then lots of sort of decreasingly aged ones where people have cottoned on to how glorious they can look. They are wonderful, aren't they? But I also think to myself, you know, they are wonderful things and the scent is great and the flowers are great. But part of me thinks, you know, for that sort of window of flower and the amount of work you've got to do, you know, is it is it really the the plant you would have if you only have one? So I agree with that. I mean, a fence them is spectacular. And I'm very always envious of the fact he's got the space to do that. But I, I just I think the amount of times through the year you've got to cut all the tendrils back, you've got to do the dead wood out, you've got to check your wires, you've got to train it in, you've got to chew it back again, and then you've got to do it a bit later in the season. And, and then just before Christmas, you might do it again. So it keeps growing and growing. And then, you know, you get what? How many weeks of flowers, Al, do you think for a good wisteria? Three or four, I suppose. Yeah. But then you do sometimes Maybe. get that bonus crop in the autumn, don't you? Yeah, that's um, true. Which is nice. and But, I mean, you're almost putting me off the idea, Ian. I have to no, say. no, 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 don't, 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 because I think it's a wonderful idea. And I was thinking, 
that you've, you've got some in your Midgard. And I think you've got Black Dragon that might be coming out at the minute, that lovely yeah, double, yeah. which is just wonderful. And I think there's Macrobotris somewhere as well. And um, exactly. they're, they're just now gradually, for years, they haven't, I don't think we've ever got round to training them into the huge, great um, wooden structures, the sort of pergola sides that run down Alan's Medgard. And, and, and last year, the boys spent oh, a good few hours up ladders each side, tying all these lengths in. And we're now halfway along. That really pays off, actually, doesn't it? It does, because then you get this whole, these whole columns that just drip with wisteria flowers. And it is a job. I know, and I said about the cutting, but there is something spectacular about it. I mean, you know, there is, there is. I think I think one of the things about wisteria is when the, it was when the tendrils start to then they put the new new buds out, but not the buds that flowers, but the, the new branches mm. out. They just they grow. I mean, two three meters easily, mm. um, and they start whipping you in the face and all the rest of it. And if you read the books, they tell you you prune it twice. You prune it um, a summer prune and then an autumn prune. Um, but I think you know to be quite honest, I just go cutting it back whenever I pass and whenever I see it. And it, when it gets in my way, for instance. There's one wisteria here that you haven't mentioned that I don't know whether you'd like it or not. I've always been of the um, the opinion that I don't like it. And I looked at it today and it's flowering now. It's on the on the fence and the archway just coming out of the veg garden. Um, oh, yes. No, it's a very, very delicate, very, very. Yeah, it's delicate. a variety called lipstick. I mean, a horrible name, ah, horrible name. Yeah, yeah. And it is the sort of the palest, palest, creamy pink with a tiny little dark pink heart to the flower I suppose mm. I took photographs of it today thunder so you can have some good um, nice. I've got to be honest it doesn't sound like one I'd pick <laughs> it no, is it nice actually it was a gift to me from a nursery man just as he was giving up um giving up his nursery Roger from Swarston I don't know whether you ever knew him in um no, Roger and Pat no, no oh well anyway he came over and he gave it to me he said it's a new one you try it and see what you like See whether you like it or not. I've never liked it, but I've never dared say because I didn't want to offend. Got <laughs> <laughs> um, it now. <laughs> well, I looked at it today and I actually thought, yeah, I've grown into you. You're quite nice. Yeah, there is something delicate about there. The, the way the ends of those racines, they, they peter away and become very long rather than mm. being sort of quite dumpy. They're really lovely. But I was thinking the National Collection holder, I think it's based in uh, Kent for Wisteria. He grows all his as standards, like an orchard. And I was thinking if people don't have walls and fences, then Wisteria do make fantastic standards. If you can get a good stake in for them and take them up and trim those tops back and keep cutting it for the first few years to get a good structure, they just look spectacular because those blooms just drip off them like the most wonderful sort of design on a Japanese plate or something, you know. I've often thought of doing that. I've, I've not got mm. around to it. And I think for me, wisteria is something I definitely want to buy in flower because there are certain ones I see and I just think, no, that'd be too wishy-washy. And I mean, like the white one, I wouldn't necessarily think I'd be drawn to, but actually when you see it in flower, they can be so graceful and ephemeral and beautiful. Um, so I think I'd need to sort of really work out if I could only have one and train it as a standard, I need to be fairly confident on which one I want. You don't yeah. want one, you want a row. <laughs> right. an, an avenue, imagine an avenue of standards of wisteria, that'd look spectacular, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. Just fill my whole garden. <laughs> In actual fact, I think it's not a bad idea because after a while, um, it's a bit like bonsaiing a plant, isn't it? Because after mm. a while, they, they would actually become like living sculptures. Yeah, they, they get gnarly. That gnarly, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Full of lovely shapes. And I was thinking, actually, I said it about pruning, but with standards, you could probably just prune them. Like that old boy told you to prune the apple tree, that yeah. you're not sure how to prune an apple tree, you run a pair of shears over it. Well, with wisteria... 
you can really do the same. As long as you're not too hard with it, just run a pair of shears around it to clip it, and you're going to leave some stubs and some spurs, and it's probably going to be one of the easiest ways to, to do a standard. Oh, I am feeling inspired now. What a wonderful wisteria reverie. Ah, lovely, yeah, good. <laughs> we haven't even got on to show and tell yet. Ian, what have you brought along? I had a little walk through, we've got some nice bluebell woods um, up here, which I drove past in my, drop it in my truck quite regularly and didn't get a chance to go in. This wasn't from the bluebell wood, but I thought I'd go and have a look because I was trying to see if there might be anything quirky that might have appeared but there wasn't in in three acres of wonderful bluebell wood there were two white bluebells that's the only sort of genetic mutation there was but this is a lovely bracteate form i really like these parsonsoides nonscriptus um bracteatus form and i think alan started growing some of these haven't you we had some we got from the same people we've had them from richard hobbs and joe Sharman do them and they really are wonderful ben potterton grows them as well who's some of you will will know but they are just, just such obscure things. You get this wonderful pale blue flower. I suspect probably they've got a little bit of the Spanish bluebell in them, to be honest, because the way that they're, they're structured. And you've got this genetic mutation where if you look at a bluebell flower anyway, it has these tiny little stipules that come out of, you know, these little green bits here. They're on original bluebells, like little sort of purple stipules. But here, this mutation has caused these stipules to become almost sort of leaf-like to become you know like leaf-like structures and you get this wonderful weird head on them now i've got a clump of these in the garden which is making up quite slow and i got them from richard and there's a white form as well that you is got a white the one? One i grow the white one yeah yeah we call them hairy but hairy bells hairy bells oh, say that please well <laughs> what do you think of them do you like them i do like them yes i do like them but i rather feel i like you've got a couple of little clumps and they are gradually they're very slow um and I think, you know, the trouble is when you buy these from somebody who's a specialist, they don't have more than a couple of pots for sale. But I'd like to go somewhere and be able to buy 10 pots. Yeah, it'd be lovely, wouldn't it? Did, did, did Annie Guilfoy talk about these as well on hers? Was she, ah, OK, yeah. Harry Bells, are... one of the many things from the Annie Guilfoy podcast that we couldn't Google without being worried about the results. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's always a bad way to find out things, but, but really lovely. And it's in... It's in part shade, it's just in amongst other things and it comes up, it does its thing. And I think it's a really quirky plant to have. So that's particularly lovely. Um, it's still tulip season, obviously, um, which is lovely. Uh, Alan, you know, you've got lots of wonderful tulips. Um, every year I buy lots of, well, I think to new to me, interesting tulips. And I give them all to mum and dad for Christmas as part of their Christmas present. And they get to plant these wonderful pots up around theirs. And there's quite a long stem on this. And this is... Um, Amber Glow, which came from that well-known bulb retailer who um, has associations with Sissinghurst, Sarah Raven. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's no denying it. And I'm always lulled in and it's absolutely lovely. Um, I didn't think it was going to be this good, uh, but the blooms are huge. I've got this wonderful dark sort of burgundy at the top petering through. And I'm, I'm wondering if the initial colour of this before it was taken as a variety may have been virus that was running through it at some point, but it fades this wonderful rich yellow at the bottom. And it is just a, a cracking tulip, I think. It's doing really well in some large galvanised planters, mum and dad, really tall galvanised long toms at the moment. It looks lovely. And it's combined with continental, this wonderful uh, tulip here. And, and, and I say to everybody, I'm always drawn to these wonderful dark colours. And it, 
I think they just look fantastic this time of year and they're combining together really, really beautifully. So I'm going to see if we can keep these going for next year. Mum and Dad do like to keep their tulips going. And what we tend to do is we tend to lift them once they finish flowering. Uh, and Ruffy, my dad, he tends to lay them in crates, black bulb crates in the greenhouses. And we just bake them through the summer. They just sit on the greenhouse benches all summer long and they bake uh, and then they get cleaned up and then they get planted back again, usually about it'll be this December they get put back in and we find we get really good results from that I know not everyone can do that and everyone won't want to do that but when we get certain cultivars we really like I will occasionally buy them again but it's quite nice to see what the results are to see if that baking does make a difference and nine times out of ten it does you know they just roast quite happily and and, and it's a great thing to use we're not fussy about compost we just use a 50-50 mix of a peat-free multi-purpose with a nice uh, top soil in um, I'm steering clear of, of, of John Innes only because it contains peat. So I'm trying to use topsoil when I do my compost mixes now, guaranteeing that I haven't got any, haven't got any peat in there. And it's a tricky thing. And I was chatting to um, Stephen at Goose Green this morning about compost. And it's a bit of a nightmare for growers knowing what to do and where to go with it. And there's a lot of rubbish out there in terms of compost. We were both agreeing that topsoil as an addition to peat-free compost is a very good thing because it helps to to stabilize them it means they don't dry out so much they don't lose their nutrients so quickly and the worry for growers is that it's all very well using peat free for them but they have to put so much fertilizer in to compensate that the fertilizer bills are high and the nitrates that go into the water course is a um, a bit of a concern as well so we're agreeing that topsoil is a good mix so a few bulbs there as well well for anybody out there that has molehills in your in your garden now uh, don't waste them you mix in with your peat free compost yeah. yeah, and it's, it's wonderful stuff. It's got no stones in it. The moles have churned it, and it's just wonderful, friable mixture. That's a great old tradition, isn't it? The old head gardeners used to do that. They'd send the garden boy out to get molehills uh, to use for using the potting mixes for the greenhouses. I was quite tempted to pinch some the other day. Um, where my mum keeps her ponies, there's a there's a lovely farm, lovely farm garden, cottage garden, and uh, they had a mole outside their front gate, right by the paddock. And I thought, oh, if only I had something with yeah, get me. That soil, get I that could soil. pinch those molehills. Actually, the other thing I was thinking as I stood at that gate is she had a lovely clump of doll's minuet, the tulip, ah, um, which. Beautiful. I don't really go for strong pink tulips for some reason, but certainly combining with the oranges and the sort of probably a bit like your continental, the sort of dark burgundies that she had, that shocking pink in a really lovely strong clump was um, rather eye-catching. The more I grow plants, the longer I garden. I, I do think that the that, that colour, you can get away with, with so much. And, you know, I think probably working with, working for Alan at East Ruston as well is just seeing that, you know, you can just mix colours that the books would say, oh, you know, you mustn't do that, but you can mix them. And because you've got green as a foil, they work. I mean, you know, and I think just try it. And if it doesn't work, well, we'll take it out and we'll move that sort and put something new in. I think that's, you know, I think, Al, that's the way to do it, isn't it? Just keep I going. Do. I do. Well, I entirely agree with you. And I think the thing is, it's not for everybody. And that's quite all right, because we shouldn't all like the same things. But I mean, you know, I mean, we mix our, when you know, you do it. We mix our ske colour schemes up with tulips. We have soft palettes. And we have loud and brash and shrieking chaparelli pink with bright orange and all the rest of it. Um, but all of those things, actually, they all mean something to somebody. I mean, mm -hmm. somebody said to me in the garden yesterday, there's three double tulips, a bright yellow, a bright orange and a white. Well, I would never have put white with those, but doesn't it look wonderful? Yeah. You know, it's just... <laughs> 
it makes it such a fresh zesty mix doesn't it it makes me yeah, think absolutely. of like wonderful fresh zesty sort of oranges lemons and limes mm. and you know that sort of the thing. tulips in the bed outside my potting shed somebody said to me they look just like a rembrandt painting <laughs> well they're a rembrandt mix that's perfect yeah, exactly. <laughs> and talking of marmitey things i saw you post that lunaria um Somerset, oh, Marble, Somerset Alan, Marble yeah. which I mean when I first saw the seedlings and you know bought little babies for sale I was already excited about them but every year like they I just love it more and more and once those honesty the sort of lovely bright pinky purple honesty flowers come out against that pink variegated foliage I know it's probably a real Marmite plant but I think it's a showstopper I think this is, it's the epitome of strong taste not bad taste strong taste <laughs> and I love it and I, I mean, the amount of people that have come to me and said, what's the name of that honesty? I've got to have it. What is it? Where do you get it from? You know, and all this. It is a lovely, lovely thing. It's different. And yeah. at this time of the year where there's not huge amounts of colour, especially in woodland areas where that likes to grow, you can have a patch of that on its own and it just sings. Yeah. And it sings in highest notes ever, provided you put smyrnium perfoliating with it. But that's oh. Yellow flower head. It's lovely. That's like to go full music. I can't remember much from my music degree, but I think it would be like a coloratura soprano, like <laughs> all, all the twiddles and the high notes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're absolutely right. Yeah. It's Shall beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> I've only got Lunaria annua in mine. I did have some named cultivars, but just Lunaria annua is the dominant one now. But it links to what you say. It's just wonderful. You know, mm. that, and it, I've got it with, um, it, it's quite near this lovely gold. Uh, this gold-flowered um, Helleborus fetidus, which oh. is um, Hohenbrook's Hohenbrook's gold, which is absolutely lovely. Is that, I think you've got that. I think I've got you? that. It's fab, yeah. isn't it? And it's gorgeous. And, and that with this, with just the Lunaria, oh. it's just wonderful. Yeah, look it's at that. Of, look at that. You know, it's, it's sort of like what I was talking about with that, you know, that smyrnium, that that sort of yellow and that sulphur and that lime. They really just mean. And you could you could easily put orange with this, and because you've got that yellow and that lime. The orange and the purple wouldn't look out of place together, would they? It'd really be yeah. a very sort of, you know, a very pleasing mix, I think. Um, but Alan and I, we were talking about Lunaris this week and saying the wonderful range there are with that lovely head glow with its dark, rich burgundy foliage, and obviously Somerset marble. And there's a lovely one called Corfu Blue, which has very pale mauve flowers. Um, and, and that tends to sort of seed around quite nicely as well. And then you've got perennial forms like, you know, Lunaria rediviva which is that wonderful, just simple sort of white, which is really nice as yeah, well. Yeah, got that down the garden here. Yeah, and there seems to be lots of new cultivars of these coming through. So I think it's a plant which we should just think of, oh, it's just, it's just Lunaria, it's just seeding through. But actually, isn't it funny how we're now looking at this as actually a really valuable plant for schemes for this time of year in particular? It's funny how things go like that. Plants do come in and out of favour, don't they? And I do think with honesty as well, that there can't be many of us who as children weren't obsessed with those lovely silver pennies. Uh, yeah, so then you yeah. get that whole nostalgia as well. But I think this is a wonderful opening for somebody, um, you know, if, if people are worried about the cost of things, for instance, I mean, I saved seed, uh, I think you sowed it in and I planted, I pinched some of the plants that, that, that germinated and put them in a window box and they look fan fantastic in a window box. I'm not a great oh. fan of window boxes, but there's a window box on my laundry room. It's really to stop people being nosy and looking in. But... <laughs> we still it's do, Alan. That. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's got a slightly delicate fragrance that um, I think, I think, yeah, it's either Chedglow or Corfu Blue, I can't remember, but a very lovely light fragrance as you walk past. It's, they're really great. Yeah, blue, but yeah. The fragrance I mean, is just what, lovely. What I was going to say, if people are worried about the cost of things, you know, 
if you sow some honesty seed and you grow the plants on until you get nice fat plants in probably one and a half, two litre pots, you could actually bed those out in the scheme for the, for the following spring and interplant them with tulips. Or if you want to save your tulips, plant them behind the honesty. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a plant, as you say, that is gaining value in people's minds, I think. I mean, once it used to be relegated to sort of somewhere where you, you know, near the dustbins or something. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. And here we are now using it. And, and, and you, know, you and other top gardens in the country are using it for seasonal bedding displays, putting it mm. on prime show rather than it's something that just appears in the corner where a field boundary joins the garden, for example. Yeah. You know, that sort yeah. of thing. So, so that's lovely. Um, I picked a few aristimums as well. And I know I always talk about these, but they're such valuable plants. And this is one you would all know. It's been around a while now. It's apricot twist. I know, Thunder, you will love this because that wonderful, rich, rich orange. But they're just so good for their long season of flowering. Um, and, and more and more now I'm thinking about things as well, which will cope with our, well, what appears to be our drier climate in the East. For me, it feels like this is the driest spring in a summer I've ever known. It's what it feels like. I don't know if it is, and I, I want to know. I need to keep better records, but I'm thinking of all these plants which will cope with drier conditions. And, and Arisimum will. And these are only a couple of pounds. I got them from um, a, a local DIY store, which is terrible, in, in the village, because I'm always looking for plants. And... You know, and also, isn't it amazing how many roadside stalls spring up this time of year? Just little things that people are growing. It's all very exciting. But apricot twist is lovely. And all I do is once it's finished flowering, just nip out these old flower heads and it'll go on for a good a good four or five years quite happily. It's compact at about 45 centimetres. Um, and I've also got red jep, which I've grown for a while now. I got that from Richard. I know it's one that Alan grows as well, which is just wonderful because it it seeds. And what I'm finding when it's seeding, I haven't brought you them with me, is I'm getting these wonderful mutations of flowers where I'm getting these, these striations, almost slightly psychedelic with this wonderful rich red in and then the sort of slightly faded mauve is appearing in there sort of purple and then I'm getting streaks of yellow in it as well are you finding that as well Al these sort of weird mutations in the second generations of of plants so they must be hybridizing with just normal everyday wallflowers I think exactly we've got one in the front courtyard which is just behind me which we call rust and copper knob and I mean that ah yes that that opens it the most lovely sort of yellow apricotic colour and then it gradually fades to purple so that you get purple on the bottom of the spike going up through the it through shades of of purple red orange and then apricot on the top apricot yellow on the top it is a stunning plant but I mean, there's, there's a whole good range of these. There's a lot of new cultivars coming through and it'll be interesting to see how well they perform. But I mean, good old favourites such as, you know, Bowles Mauve, Lady Robra, Ruston Royal, one that you've got, Al, which is, is brilliant mm. as well. Um, Harper Crew, which is that most wonderful double yellow, which people always seem to overlook, but it's such a fantastic form. It really is. And obviously those yeah. lovely rich coppers coming through with Ruston Copper Knob. And there's a few other nice sort of rich oranges coming through as well, which are are great plants and they, they seem to be making them slightly more compact now you know bowls mauve um ruston royal and lady robra are, are quite big plants they can reach up to three feet across can't they over time yeah uh, so you need a, a bit of space ruston copper knob what's that about two feet across at the moment after about no, three years it's that. looking it's about three feet across now. That, that's that's getting quite sizable yeah, as well it makes it does make a nice sort of a comely dumpling if you know what i yeah. mean it, it, it doesn't split or anything like that. So it, it's, it really is a worthwhile plant, I think. And I think their foliage is nice in the winter as well. If you've got good perennial wallflowers that form that nice sort of slightly glaucousy green dome, I think they're really welcome foliage in the winter, which is nice, which is really lovely. 
and you can get some lovely combos as well. I'm not actually sure what what my I've got a wallflower in the front garden, just this one that I think Alan you sort of chucked my way when I was walking around the garden with you a couple of years back, and it's ended up next to uh, a centuria, a lovely blue like Montana with um with salvia royal bumble coming into flower. So you've just got this lovely cacophony of rich blue and red and the sort of purpley reds of the wallflower, and it's just it's really lovely. You put a bit of white in there, Thunder, you're going to be really patriotic. Yeah. <laughs> or put, put Centauria Geordie with it as well. That's which is another, lovely. Another wonderful perennial uh, perennial cornflower. Um, really rich purple blooms on there. Came, came from Monk Silver many, many years ago, but it's doing particular. That would go, even, that would go really well with your yeah, skin. That would be, yeah, that would fit in wonderfully. I think yeah. in the back garden, which I got from Richard, is there one called Purple Heart? Something like that's purple and yeah. white anyway, whatever its yeah. name is. And actually that one was next to Lady Robra until Lady Robra died. And I haven't replanted with the cutting I did of Lady Robra, but it was lovely, the lilac and the uh, purple and white together. I think that is the thing that we should just say that, you know, after you've got your plants in for three years, you ought to be taking cuttings, taking batches just so you keep that genetic material because they will eventually just run out of steam. They really will. Hey, Thordis here. Just to say thank you so much for listening to Talking Dirty. You are now officially our favourite person. If you really liked it, please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant-loving mayhem next week. And as you're our new favourite person, we don't want you to miss out. If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening and we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time. (laughs) 